right, good morning. I am going to uh, take a moment and address the church, and I typically read uh, my thoughts from my phone when I do this, so uh, if you'll just bear with me for a moment. Like many of you this past Wednesday, I could not believe it when the reports began coming in that the state capitol was being evacuated because protesters were in the building. Much of what transpired in the following hours was a picture of defiance, disrespect, and violence that is just simply wrong and should always be condemned. I stood before you multiple times in 2020 to call out violence, to ask you to mourn with those who are hurting, to suggest we slow down and wait for more information, and often to pray for peace. All of these are needed today. Sometimes I was met with messages from people telling me they were proud to call City Church home. Other times, I was called ignorant and disgusting. During this election, I have been asked not to discuss politics from the platform, not to mention abortion, accused of policing people's Facebook pages. I will tell you that some people have left the church. Only one couple sat down and looked me in the eyes to tell me they were leaving. Others have had private conversations with people in the church to share their grievances. This is called sowing discord. It is sin. It is the fruit of the division taking place in our backyards, our homes, and our church chairs. It was never my intention to bring these things to the pulpit, but this week changed that. The Lord reminded me of my calling, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I am not willing to compromise in my calling in order to avoid conflict or to keep the seats filled. I have four children who are looking at the example I set every day. It would make my life so easy to take this passage and only focus on the exhorting of the people. But that would make me a failure before God. To reprove is to reprimand or censure someone, and to rebuke is to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. This infers that two-thirds of my job is to point out sin, something I have failed to do consistently. I am here to repeat what I said in July of last year. I am concerned that this moment in history in which we can take a step forward in healing is being hijacked by the demonic work of the enemy. The violence that happened in our nation's capital Wednesday was a victory for the enemy. While we do not have all the answers or a complete picture of who all the actors were, we know this, five people died, including a police officer. And for what? What was accomplished? Families are divided as children turn in their parents and brothers report each other. I am sure that some will take offense to my words today because they are too pointed or that they are not pointed enough, perhaps even because I left out a perspective that others have shared. That is not my prayer or intention. I cannot give you a quick answer to the evil, a quick solution to the evil that is gripping our nation, but I can point you to the cross. The cross is for anyone who will, regardless of political affiliation. So I charge you with this, Psalm chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, 
who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money and interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Remember that belief is only validated by fruit. If one believes in God, then their words and actions will represent that belief. I'm committed to the struggle. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to be a pastor for anyone that will allow me to. I'd like for us to pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, being a, a light in my life and pushing me forward and stretching me to become a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better son. Lord, I thank you that you are willing to do difficult things in our lives to see us stretched, to see us grow. Father, we, we come now as your children and, and we pray for light to be shown into this, into this darkness with so many voices, so many people telling us what to think, what to believe, so many lies that we are catching people in and disinformation. It's really difficult to know who to listen to, what to believe. Father, I, I pray that you would rise up genuine leaders of the faith, people who are able to speak and that we're able to listen to, that we're able to trust. And Father, as that is a warfare that is at work to be prevented from happening, Lord, during that time, will you speak to us through your word? Will you restore our hope and our trust in our brothers and sisters around us and humanity and our neighbor and the people that deliver our mail and prepare food for us and the customers that we serve and our jobs and the, the lives that we are intertwined with, the people that we pass when we're walking our dogs and going to the vet and buying groceries. Lord, will you do a work that helps to heal the hurt and remove the cancer of hate that has filled too many conversations. Lord, may we be found innocent of engaging in those toxic moments. Rise up your church here in this nation, Lord, and use us if it is your will. We are ready. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Um, uh, before I jump into today's word, I want to tell you that uh, uh, this coming Saturday is going to be our brown bag giveaway at Red. And, uh, you know, we, we don't need legislation to serve people in need. As followers of Christ, that's what we're called to do. And I know that people have busy schedules. I, I get it. I know that we forget. Uh, one of the m major avenues of outreach that our church has been blessed with is red. And, and we feed somewhere between 75 and 100 families almost every time that we do this. 
Um, and we are constantly shorthanded. We are constantly needing people to show up for three hours on a Saturday morning once a month and, and, and pack the bags and hand out the food and pray with people, shake hands, smile at people, help. There are several who are, who are uh, uh, handicapped or elderly, and they need help even carrying their groceries to the vehicle. And there are Saturdays where we are just juggling trying to make it all happen. And I'm not trying to, to heap some type of conviction on you uh, per se, but to maybe open up your own heart to say, you know what, I think maybe I could, I could do that. I could show up for three hours, one Saturday a month, and engage in a process like this to be the hands and feet, to go beyond the keyboard, talking about the need for us to help those who are in need, but to actually be engaged in the process. And uh, Matthew and Meredith have led this for us for years, and I, I just got to tell you, like, I'm blown away by them, and I, I want to just dote on them for a moment. I mean, they, 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 they led through some pretty crazy moments, including having a child, and where so many people bringing the, a, a child into the world, rightfully so, would say, I need to pause for a moment. Like, I need a break so that I can focus on you know, being 20 months pregnant, you know what I'm saying? And, but they didn't do that. And they never once came and said, hey, I, I, we can't do this. And, and, and they, just, they just kept making it happen. And uh, they're expecting child number two. You can celebrate for that. And, and, and they're just at a season where we would show our love and appreciation for what they have done for years now, and we would put our actions where our hearts hopefully are if we could align and get more people engaged in showing up and making this a part of their regular routine. And can I tell you, you might think you show up and you might think to yourself like, well, there's only so many people that could be there. That's not true. If we had the entire church there one Saturday a month, man, we would have personal, individual conversation with every person coming through that line. There wouldn't be anybody that didn't get prayed for. There wouldn't be any conversation that was missed. And so I just really want to encourage you if you're able to be a part of that. We also have a separate need, and that is going to get the food from Second Harvest. Uh, that is on typically the Friday before. Uh, uh, we do it on, in the morning, uh, going, picking up the food. Uh, Matthew, it usually takes about two hours from the time you get there to at the most, and, uh, uh, and so if you're willing to help in either of these areas, then I want to urge you today, when service is over, to go and talk with Matthew and Meredith, and I'd like to encourage you to pull your, your calendar out, and like you would for any other event in your life, to put it on and not wait. We want to do better at reminding you, but, but get it in there and get an alert that shows, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to show up. I'm going to spend a couple of hours serving on Saturday, and then I'm going to go down and grab a coffee and a waffle at Blue Door and enjoy the cold weather before I s skip on to my day, right? Okay, so uh, get with Matthew and Meredith. They're right over here. If you don't know who they are, they're raising their hands and waving and uh, connect with them. Amen? It's, it's, an, it's an important thing for us to be more than just right here, okay, on Sundays, but to be serving in our community, and this is a great opportunity. Now, I want to move from there uh, over to uh, uh, this message. Now, I will tell you that uh, 
this message, this series that we're going to start is uh, a series on unity. And it's really interesting because uh, months ago, uh, Robert Floyd, Robert is our um, uh, creative director at the church, has been, Robert has been uh, engaged with me in planning out our, our series. And so we, pl- we try to plan these things out months in advance so that the creative team has time to work on graphics, to work on different cues. And uh, I was telling him that it would be really great in the new year to kick off a series on unity. And so as we jump into this content, as has been the case so much over the last year, uh, it feels so very relevant to what's actually happening today. And there's no way that we could have known that this was going to happen this week in our nation uh, to even to be able to prepare something like the content that we're stepping into. And so it is just, again, just a, a intentional uh, uh, declaration, I believe, to, uh, or confirmation in my heart that God is speaking through what we're doing here at City Church. And so uh, uh, I'll begin by saying that God's concern for people should inform our lives, right? And so that's what we want to look at in this next series. We're calling it All Sons and Daughters. And regardless of, uh, of, of, of how we vote, regardless of what our hobbies are, there are people in the midst of all of those little caveats of society who really do genuinely love the Lord. I I, I wanna make sure, like, like I think you know that. I think that you know that there are Democrats and Republicans who genuinely love the Lord, but we can get caught up in the media cycle, right? to begin to allow those divisions and what the enemy wants to divide us, we can begin to, to, to create this mindset of us and them and bring that into the church. But, but that's, that's, not, that's not a reality, okay? It's not a reality. It's not a blanket statement to say that one side is more holy than the other. There are people who are genuinely trying to figure things out the same way that my prayer is you and I are trying to figure things out and trying to live our lives in a way that honors him. And so the reminder is that we as children of God are all sons and daughters. And you look at the dysfunction that happens within a family when a parent has a favorite child, right? I had this conversation with somebody this week, right? Like, like when, when, a, when a parent begins to say, this is my favorite and I tolerate the others, like think about how that creates division right? It, that, that's, that creates pain among the children. God doesn't do that, right? And so just, just as you're sitting here and you're struggling with what's happening and you're thinking, I wish they could see it my way, God is sitting up on his throne saying, I wish that my children could see it my way. Because I do believe that if we could see it his way, which requires change, I'm going to tell you on my part, it requires me to change. It requires me to be challenged. If, that, if that's the case, right? If, then, then I believe that if we would all come to that place and see it God's way, that we would not experience the division that we experience within the church, right? The division inside of the, out there in the world, it's going to be there, right? The enemy is going to be at work. There's going to be division. But we can be united, and we can be on the same front. And I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, I would say that it's difficult. So I'm going to begin... Uh, 
uh, following up from a message I gave several weeks ago out of Luke chapter 9, here in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is important, uh, just, just a reference point for us. Jesus uh, had been engaged in uh, uh, living life, miracles, friends, but there was a moment where he began the journey. He knew that he was heading to the cross, okay? And so he began the journey that was going to lead him there. And so it says that, that, that as the time came, as it drew near for him to be taken up, that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And, and I, I preached on this, and I talked about the fact that there was, Jesus was, his, his focus was on Jerusalem. He was going to stop in with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans believed differently. They did not believe Jerusalem was the, 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 play, the proper place for the, for the Temple Mount. They did not believe it was the, the proper place for worship. And because of that, they looked at the doctrine of these people and they said, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with you, right? They had a different belief system, but Jesus nonetheless made an attempt. Now, what's important as we move forward through this entire series, and we're going to be in this section of text for the entire series here in Luke, is that we have to remember that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus is heading to a final meal with those that are closest to him, Jesus is heading to a moment of prayer where he will be seized, where he will be taken and beaten, wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, and then ultimately he'll die on the cross. This is, this is what he knew. He knew that, that to be taken up, the time is drawing near, it's time to start making my way towards this, okay? So what does he do while en route? He's heading that way. What happens? Well, we begin Luke with the birth, and we just celebrated the birth of Christ with, with Christmas and the celebration and the conversation that unto us is born this day, right? A babe. It's Jesus. And then we get this, this picture in Luke of, of the miracles, the miraculous things that Jesus would be engaged in, the things that drew the crowds in, right? Because when the miracles are happening, when there's free things being handed out, people show up. And so the crowds are following Jesus at this point, and now he's heading to the cross. Track with me. And there is a, there's, a, there's a shift in tone in Luke's writing. And he moves from talking about the miracles to the lifestyle of Jesus to the things that he expects. Jesus begins to get out those last things. Listen, if I'm about to be gone, there are some things I need to say to you about how you live your life. So we move from these miracles to some instruction, to some navigation, to, hey, I'm going to send you, I'm going to test you, I'm going to let you be a part of this. And then I want to tell you about people who have succeeded and people who have failed. And so there's a, there's a shift in the tone. And then ultimately, Luke wraps up this writing with this sacrifice where we get to the, the, the culmination of Jesus' death, burial, ultimate resurrection and ascension, right? 
And so it's during this time as he's heading to Jerusalem that I want us to kind of reflect on some of the things that Jesus said. Because what's really interesting as I'm studying this is that Jesus's time during, during this transition is he's teaching them how to live as the body of Christ. We've seen the miracles. Now he says it's time for you to be participating in the miracles. But more importantly, it is time for the church to operate with unity. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. What's interesting here is that if you look at this, now I, I want to just point out something because if you're reading this in some different translations, some of them say 72, some of them say 70, all right? And you, and you think, man, that's kind of a like, like, what's the, the off-kilter? Well, this is what's crazy, is that half of the, tran- uh, uh, of the transcripts, the manuscripts that we have, say 72, all right? And then half of them say 70. Now, when you look at it, it actually says 70 and then 2, okay? So it's not one number, but it represents this number 72. So why would that matter? Well, Interestingly enough, when you look at the Hebrew text, uh, the number, there are 70 nations listed in Genesis 10, but when they translated it to Greek, the Septuagint, which Jesus quotes and speaks from, there are 72 nations mentioned. Why? I do not know. But on top of the Hebrew and the Greek showing 70 and 72, miraculously, Half of the manuscripts say 70, and half of them say 72. And so just using the English Standard Version, right, which is what we teach out of, it's interesting to see that there are 72 nations listed in Genesis 10. So what does Jesus do? Jesus sends out 72, right, okay? And he has his 12 disciples that stay with him. And we get to Genesis 49, and we find out that there are 12 tribes of Judah, And so it's not some arbitrary thing where Jesus is like, oh, you know, no, no, no. Jesus is setting up imagery, right, for his followers so that when he tells them, go into the nations, he is helping them understand that you you have a responsibility to divide up and figure out how to get to all the nations, like, you, you don't get to go, like, I have a personal calling to, you know, Jamaica, and everybody else goes, that sounds great, and you just all move over to some tropical paradise, okay? Like, like you have the responsibility of getting everywhere. And so Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he is focusing on Gentiles as he makes the way. So he is setting the stage for the fact that this gospel that, that is to be preached, the good news, is not just for those who are Jews. And Jesus is modeling this by sending them out. Verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So if you want something to pray about, if you're sitting here in the midst of, you don't have anything else to be praying about right now, you could be praying for harvesters right? You could be praying for workers, because what does he say? He says, there is a harvest to be had, but we need workers, right? And so he says, how do you get workers? Well, you begin by praying for them. 
And then where do we send these workers? So I get why you would pray for other people to want to do the work and not yourself because you probably read the next verse. He says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is why they're praying for other people to do the work because nobody wants to go out as a lamb among the wolves. And just to kind of sum this up for you, he says, pray, go, and prepare. Why? Because wolves kill sheep brutally. The wolves don't show up and go, hey, listen, I know you didn't really do anything. We're going to make this painless. We've got a production line. No, the wolves come out savage. And, and can I tell you just some other things for you? Like, I'm not trying to just be gross for the sake of being gross, but wolves don't hunt the sheep one time, right? So when the wolf is reaching maturity, when it shows up, it has the remnants of other sheep evident on it. Like the more that a wolf hunts, the more evident it becomes that this is a vicious killer. And that's the imagery. Just so you understand, this is not like, uh, you know, like watching some kid's little cartoon like Balto or, you know, the uh, White Fang or something where it's like, oh, really, the, the wolf will be our friend. Like Jesus is not trying to do like a Jack London story for you, okay? Jesus is saying like, hey, here's what it is. As workers, I'm going to send you into places to be among a people who want to destroy you. And they want to do it in ways that just is brutal. And at times it will hurt. But that's where I'm sending you because that's where the gospel is, where the good news is needed. And he says, so pray for the workers to do what? To go and be sheep among the wolves. Verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, I want you to hold on to this first. We're going to come back to this in a moment, okay? Because Jesus comes back to this later in Luke. But he says, I want you to go out. I don't want you to take anything with you, okay? You just go as you are, and there's no reason to be trying to stop and talk to everybody on the road. You have a mission. I'm sending you over to, to this place, to this town to minister, and so you don't have to be consumed with like, oh my gosh, I have got to tell every single wolf along the way about Jesus. Like, I've got to go and find all the bad people. No, find the area that you're, that you're being sent to and go and be a messenger. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house, right? So what is it? This is the power of the tongue. Speak peace, right? Even if in your heart you're wrestling with, I don't know if I want peace right now. Maybe what I want is some civil unrest and upheaval. As a child of God, we have to take control of that in our mind and in our heart, and we have to twist that thing down and allow what births out of our mouths to be peace. Why? Because there is a mission in front of us as the church, and that is to get the gospel, the good news to people who need it. And there's, there's something really powerful about that, and Jesus will talk about it in a moment. But he says, go and speak peace. So let peace be the word that comes from your mouth. Verse 6, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you, right? So you speak peace to a sheep, and a sheep says, yeah, I'm all about it. You speak peace to a wolf, and a wolf says, Come here and let me show you what peace looks like. Let me have the last word. Let me tell you why I'm right. 
And he says, so if a son of peace is there, this is what will happen. Your peace will rest upon him. He will receive it. So there's a way to identify here for us. So verse 7, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, I will tell you that the idea of going and doing some type of missions work and and this right here where it says, and eat what is set before you, I have experienced this in my life. Uh, I was on a trip several years ago, uh, and uh, uh, Robert and Kat uh, were actually with us. If you know Robert and Kat, we were in Kenya, and they said they were going to take us out for barbecue. And so we went to this really cool restaurant, outdoor vibe, fire pits, something that would just crush it in, you know, uh, the Starland district of Savannah. And uh, they brought out just this plate full of ribs, right? And uh, we're sitting there eating and uh, uh, Robert and I are like, man, these are delicious. These are so good. And the the ladies that are sitting there are, are, are eating. And then one of them makes that mistake, right? What kind of meat is this, right? Why is that a mistake? Well, because not everywhere you go in the world do they exclusively eat baby back ribs, okay? Uh, and so these were goat ribs, okay? And, and that was not a big deal to me. I was like, I've had worse than that. This is good. Pass me more. Robert said the same thing. But it was great to watch the ladies at the table go and set it down and look around and push their plate in front of, away from them, right? Because it was like goat, you know, uh, just something they weren't used to eating. All that to be said, like, like, like Jesus is telling them, like, you're going to go. And what does that mean? You're going to walk into the homes of people who have different cultures than you do. They think different than you do. They eat different than you do. Does that make sense, right? Like, I, I don't know about you. Like, I grew up, and it was a big thing. On Friday night, my mom and dad would take me to, uh, uh, it, for us, it was Video Express. Anybody know what a Video Express is? It's like a knockoff Blockbuster, okay? And so, uh, in case Blockbuster isn't knockoff enough, we would go, and my mom and dad would rent me two movies, uh, me and my sister, and then they would take us over to the grocery store and let us get a frozen dinner, right? A hungry man. And uh, I, I would get the Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes with the mixed vegetables and the brownie in the middle. Ugh. But I loved that thing when I was a kid. And we would go home and we would put it in the microwave and we'd set up a tray and we would watch the two movies that we rented and my sister and I would watch them over and over and over, right? It was amazing to me when I got older and I began to have friends and I began to find out that that wasn't what every kid ate when they were a child, that their moms and dads weren't feeding them hungry man frozen dinners all the time. But that is the reality. And we get that on like this little micro level right here among us. Like, oh, you know, I like this. I like that. When you talk about going into people's homes, though, you are going to be talking about moving into places where people might be eating things that you're not really familiar with. And Jesus says, look, this is going to be an obstacle. This is going to be an obstacle. Why would he mention this? I know I'm harping on this for a moment, but I just want to drive something home for a moment. Like, we are driven by our stomachs, right? And either we are driven by our stomachs, like, what's the next meal, right? Or we're driven by our stomach, like, I can't let you get any bigger than you are. But either way, we are constantly thinking about food, okay? You're either thinking, I can't eat it because I've got to have this, like, 
dad, super dad bod going. Uh, or we're thinking, I want more ice cream. I want more of this. What's that smash burger over at Brett's? I'm sorry, I threw you under the bus. It's the best smash burger you'll ever have. You need to talk to him about it. But we, we are always like, it's not hard to think about it. And Jesus says, it's not going to be any different when you walk into their house. And then they hand you things that you aren't used to eating. And this is what he says, is he says, if somebody's preparing something for you and they're not asking, hey, what do you like? Like sometimes maybe you just need to for the sake of the gospel, and you think, oh, that's crazy, but I cannot tell you how many of my missionary friends have told me that they have been, they have been able to lead people to the Lord because instead of walking in and being nitpicky, they walked in with a heart of gratitude and said, man, I'll t- thank you so much. Let me tell you about Jesus. And it's life-changing. And so verse 9, he says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there are two points right here I, I want to point out. One is heal the sick, and two is tell them the kingdom of God has come. Heal the sick, tell them the kingdom of God has come. Now, he says heal the sick with such a nonchalant kind of thing. He doesn't say, look, heal the sick, and here's how you do it. Here's a step-by-step. Uh, go and read this book. It's going to help you be better at it. He says, look, you're a follower of, uh, uh, of, of, of the Father, right? You're here with me. You've seen this thing happen. He says, Heal the sick. Really simple. Now, the confusing part to me in reading this was where he says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near, right? It's like, okay, well, how does that kind of translate out? So I want to break that down for us. Uh, Verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say. So he says, when they tell you, we don't want you here, we we, we do not receive your peace, he says, go out and make this statement, right? So this is pretty bold. He says, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So it doesn't matter whether you receive it or not, know this that the kingdom of God was right at your door. It was here. It was within your grasp. Again, these are pretty harsh words, right? Nevertheless, the kingdom of God was near. I don't like that person. I don't like what they have to say. Nevertheless, the kingdom of God was near. How can that be, right? How can it be that the messenger of God would come out, speak peace, somebody would say, I don't like you, I don't want you here, get out, and and your response would be, doesn't matter whether you receive me or not, you need to know one thing. If there's anything else you know, you need to know the kingdom of God was near. So how is the kingdom of God near? Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now we're going to get into like some of the types of conversations that just make Christians squirm in their seats, right? When we're talking about Sodom. Jesus brings it up. He says it'll be more comfortable, more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What does he say? There are consequences for rejecting the gospel. There are consequences for rejecting the word of God right? And who's he telling this to? He's not telling this to the town. He's telling this to those that are, that are, that are the 72 that are going out. He says, you, you, need to, you need to know that there are consequences, right? Because what does that do? Can, can, can you understand, like, if you're, if you're charged with sharing the gospel and you understand that there are consequences to be had for those that do not receive the gospel, could, could that possibly change the urgency inside of you for sharing the gospel? Could that 
potentially change your uh, rejection rate, right? Somebody says, I don't want anything to do with it. That you go, okay, cool. And you walk out or you go, no, 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 you need to understand. You need to understand that there's consequences. Why? Because you can't, they can't understand that there's consequences until you understand that there's consequences. And consequences can only happen if there's responsibility. In order for consequences to exist, it requires responsibility to exist. And so we can't move into a position of consequences if we can't accept that there's a responsibility that sets there and that the rejection of the word has a cost. There's a cost that comes with that. Verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. These are little towns on the north shore of Galilee. These are not big cities. They're not like centers of big commerce or anything like that. They're just everyday locations. In fact, some of the disciples come from that area. He goes on in verse 14, but it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. Remember, we talked about this when we were going through the Old Testament. We were looking at Daniel, and we were looking at Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the judgments that came onto these areas. And these are just little towns on the north shore of Galilee, and he says that it will be more bearable for these places that operated in tremendous sin than for you. And these are cities in the ancient times, right? 600, 800 years before Jesus's time here. Verse 15, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Now, this is incredible because this is, in essence, that Jesus's base of operations. When we look at miracles, uh, probably more miracles happen in and around Capernaum than anywhere else right? I mean, this is where the uh, demoniac is cast out. This is where the, the person is lowered down through the ceiling. This is the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, Capernaum is a place where we're, there, there, miracles are happening. And he says, right, what does he say? He says, will you be lifted up? He says, no, you will be cast down. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so these were cities where they lived and where miracles were performed. And the sin of these cities was not that they were against Jesus, okay? So these were not cities that were against Jesus as Sodom, uh, Tyre, and Sidon. They were against Jesus, okay? They were against the Jews. They were against God's children. No, 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 that's not what's happening here. Because remember, the crowds show up for the miracles, right? The, 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 the people come to see a, a good parlor trick. Now, there are people who are desperate to be healed, and their faith makes them whole, but that doesn't mean that the crowd is filled with faith. And the crowd shows up. What was their sin? Well, they, their sin was a sin of being indifferent, apathetic, and complacent. These were small towns that would show up and be excited in the moment that Jesus was doing something, but when it came to taking that faith into the places that they lived, yeah, I mean, I, I believe in God. I believe, I believe, but listen, I, I, I don't want to make it difficult for anybody else in the room, so I just won't talk about it. And maybe you think, oh, you know, Pastor Jim, you know, that sounds too much like today. Yeah, you're right, it does. 
It does sound like today. It does sound like people who would say, wow, you know, I love a good praise and worship service. I love a good word. I love it when a miracle takes place. I love to feel the presence and the Spirit of God. But do we take that with us out the door? And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm sending you out symbolically. This is to the world. And you need to know that you're going to go into places and they're going to receive peace and they're going to say, blessed be God. And they're going to want what you have. And there are going to be places where they say, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And it's going to be difficult because there will be wolves that'll be there. And you need to understand something that it is not going to be good enough for them to just give you some lip service. But this is going to have to, this is going to require transformation in people's lives. And so what is he doing? He's laying out the role of messengers, those who are the hands and feet of the gospel. It's the role that you and I are called to walk in, that we're called to operate in. So what does he say? Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what does that mean? The kingdom of God is in you. That means that the kingdom of God experience that they are able to have is because you showed up. And so quite literally what they're saying when they come out and they go, hey, listen, you need to know something. The kingdom of God was near you. It's almost, it almost sounds arrogant to be like, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea what I am bringing to you. Because, because I showed up, because I was obedient unto the calling of the gospel, and I showed up, the kingdom of God came near to you. And what does this tell us? This tells us that some people, the, the, the very closest, most real taste of heaven that they will ever get is if we will put ourselves out there. And so he's giving this instruction, and we get to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So what did they do? They took what he said, and they went out, and they put it into practice, and they come back, and they are excited, right? Now, let's flip over here to Luke 22 for a moment. We'll come back to Luke 10. But this is the moment, right, where... Uh, 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 Simon Peter is being told that he's going to uh, reject Jesus, right? He says, you're going to deny me right here. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So what does that mean? When, when this is what it, he says, he says he wants to sift you like wheat. So when Satan is sifting you, how do you respond, right? Well, Peter responds, but I have prayed for you that you, your faith may not fail. And when you turned again, strengthen your brothers. What is it that he does? He goes and denies that he's a follower of Christ. So in the midst of Satan's interaction in his life, he is no longer a messenger. He's no longer willing to stand up and say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ and I bring the kingdom of God here, the kingdom of heaven. You're experiencing it because he lives inside of me. Because he lives inside of me, you are but just a moment away from stepping into it. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So why would he do this? I don't have an answer for you. Because I think that, that to answer this question would be different for every one of us. 
right? But what's a reason why you would deny Christ? What's a reason why you would hover close enough, but in the conversation, you wouldn't speak up and say you're a follower? What would that take? I think for Peter, we clearly know that Satan was sifting him. Jesus said that was going to be the case. But there was a culture around him that wanted to see Jesus crucified. There was a culture saying, this is, this is not good. We don't want this man. We don't, we don't care about the fruit. We don't want him. And the sifting that took place was a decision between culture and the gospel. Hey, here's the good news is that if you've failed at that before, if you've ever been caught up in the moment of culture and thought to yourself like, man, I, I should have been bolder, you're not the first. You're not the first. And repenting and turning back to him, Jesus will use you in incredible ways. Peter goes on, I mean, he is the rock, right? I mean, we, we are able to watch what God does with his life after this moment, and it's tremendous. And so the good news is, is that if you are a follower of Christ and you have been caught up in the culture war and not ready to put your faith out on the line, or you haven't been willing to live it, like it's not too late. Well, watch what Jesus goes on to say here, right? We're familiar with this part of the story, but I, I want to connect something for you real quick. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, or knapsack, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Remember when he did that? We were just in Luke 10, and he said, look, I want you to go out, and specifically without money bag, knapsack, or sandals. I don't want you to take anything other than what's on you. Go out, share the gospel. He says, you didn't lack anything. Watch what he says here. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So this is, this is a drastically different image than pre-crucifixion, right? I mean, th- we're just moments now. We're just day, a, a little over a day away from Jesus being crucified. And he says, look, now there are, some things are shifting. Some things are changing. And what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. I would say that it's the difference between short-term and long-term. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do for you to help build you up, to help encourage you. I want you to just to go down the street. I want you to go. I want some of you to go over to Pooler. I want some of you to go over to Richmond Hill. I want some of you to go to Tybee. I want some of you to go to Whitmore. I want you just to go to those areas, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about it today, right? And so they are experiencing what it looks like to first in Jerusalem share the gospel. And he says, but you need to get ready because... There's a work that's going to require you to go into some places that are, it's going to take some time. You're going to spend some money. You're going to have to probably sleep out on the, on the road. You're not always going to have a place to be. And you're going to have to carry a sword with you because there are going to be times where you're going to have to defend yourself. Now let's go back to Luke 10 and the 72 that are ecstatic. Verse 18, he said to them, they're excited, right? And, and he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Woo, we're so excited the demons are subject to your name. That's cool. I saw Satan fall 
like lightning from heaven. So you saw, you saw a battle won, I saw the war won. You're excited because like you were just in the middle of like some little battle skirmish on the side. Can I tell you, I've seen the end and the war is ours. So you don't have to get so excited when those little things happen, right? Because he goes on, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because it's not the little battle that you win down the street that's going to carry you into eternity. It is that your name is written in heaven. And he says, if you let this fill you up, if you let this just consume you, right, it's going to be contagious. Let me tell you, Satan falls like lightning from heaven. It will be fast and it will be furious and it will be detrimental and he will hit the ground and it will explode. The battle belongs to the Lord. So certainly Every time you walk out into a little skirmish, you'll have victory in my name. But your joy should be overflowing because your name is written in heaven. And I think there's something about that mindset that if I can get excited that I'm saved, then I'll be excited for others to be saved. Versus if I'm excited that I'm able to cast out a demon, right? And then I come over and I'm like, hey, let me tell you some great news. I'm going to take you into an exorcism and you've got the power People are like, no, <laughs> you go handle that for me, right? I've seen the movie. I don't want anything to do with it. But if we talk about eternity, the saving of our souls, the new heaven and the new earth, and our names being written in eternity, other people, what does Ecclesiastes 3.11 say? Eternity is written in the hearts of men, right? We know that there is something beyond this. We know innately that there is more than just waking up in the morning and eating a bowl of cereal and going to a job and drinking 20 cups of coffee to get through the day. Like, like, like we know deep in our knower that there's something else going on. And so if we can get excited about that, it'll be contagious to others. You see, the real joy is found in your salvation. And Jesus expects for some to not accept this. He expects that. He goes on here and he says, uh, in, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He says, I, Father, I rejoice that you have revealed these truths to little children, that it is not a complicated thing. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There is incredible blessing and fulfillment in sharing the gospel, and it's a calling each of us shares. Each of us share this. This unifies us. This unifies us. Do you understand? This is the mission 
that God set before us, before anything else. And I get it. Like, I know there are a lot of heavy things. There's a lot of outside voices telling us what we need to be passionate about. And I'm not telling you you can't have any, any other passions and any other projects that you're working on. I, I'm just trying to help you connect the dots that the foremost one is the gospel because there is nothing that fulfills like it. Let's stand to our feet as we close. Why is that? Because we are sons and daughters. I titled this over a month ago, long before I found out that there would be a conversation in Congress about removing this language. To take away the language of sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, because it's offensive. It is the language of the Gospels. It's the language of Scripture. It's really not a deniable thing. Sure, we can find now that there are translations where uh, they are removing gender identity from Scripture. You can go find one. You can read one. But it's not original to the text. God calls us his sons. He calls us his daughters. He calls us his own. And there is a manifest false gospel that is being presented in our nation and subsequently the entire world right now. And can, can I tell you that that our mission is not to be defeated by that. You, you and I are not called to just give up and go, well, what can we do? Conform? Comply? No. No. Remember this. When they persecute you, they persecuted me first. Our names are written in eternity. Our names are written in heaven. Jesus is king. And we are bringing the kingdom of heaven into our communities and our homes because the kingdom of God lives inside of us. And we speak peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I just pray that today we would be encouraged, that our hearts would be emboldened, that we would, that we would experience you in very genuine and comforting ways, but God, in ways that would push us further. That we would no more be in compliance to sin than that we would be in compliance to expectations to not live out our faith. That we would be reminded that the kingdom of heaven drawing near to people really in a huge way is fulfilled by us being obedient to go and to speak peace and to be light in the darkness. And Father, we speak peace. We speak peace. Peace that comes with healing, peace that comes with restoration and transformation, 
peace that is not just we stop fighting, but peace that is wounds are healed. Loss is restored. Minds are touched. The type of peace that passes understanding. The type of peace that we, we can't really describe. It's your peace. Peace that you intended. Peace that only you can fulfill. And we speak that. We speak that. Peace. We do it in obedience. We love you. We praise you. And we just ask that you use us, Lord, to be peacemakers, to bring the, the kingdom of heaven into the lives of others, even in the midst of wolves, especially in the midst of wolves. Peace be on them and peace be on us. We love you and we praise you. In your mighty name, amen. Before you leave, if you need prayer, listen, our prayer team is at the back and they're ready to pray with you. The scripture says if you are in need, go to the elders of the church, allow them to lay hands on you. We'll do whatever you feel comfortable with during this season, this pandemic. Uh, but if you need prayer, don't miss the opportunity for us to pray with you. If you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life and this message today encourages you and you say, you know what, I wanna know this Jesus, we'd love to connect with you, just step to the back. Um, there are resources we can give. We'll pray with you. We love you guys. Uh, uh, we will have the brown bag giveaway next Saturday at Red, and otherwise we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, we'll uh, go change your world. We love you guys.